So we're week two in this series called Plays Well with Others. Many of you, as you see on the screen, were thinking about maybe when you were young and you brought home a report card, and on that report card it would had, sometimes it would have letter grades, A, B, C, D, God be with you if it was lower than that. And sometimes off to the side, they would have these little remarks that would, you know, sometimes give a little bit more information to a parent about, about how you were doing in class. And one of those marks was uh, plays well with others. It wasn't something that ever showed up on my report card, but uh, maybe some of yours, you're pretty familiar with this. And so really the series is about having good relationships. We believe that relationships are, are so vitally important uh, to following Jesus and to just thriving in life. That's why we value things like belonging in community. It's why we value things like investing in others. Because if Jesus said that the great commandment is to love God and to love others, then we wanna do that well. We wanna do that well in our relationships. And so we're going to look at these four different areas that sometimes get tricky in relationships. In my particular teaching, I get to share about how to disagree well with others. Now, sometimes when we disagree with others, it can cause a lot of tension. Sometimes when we disagree, we can find ourselves in that fight or flight part of our brain, and we either want to fight and win, or we want to flight. We want to retreat and just run away and hide. And and I don't think that either one of these are necessarily healthy And the truth of it is, is that we're going to have disagreements in our lives. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. You can disagree with your family, disagree with a bunch of different people, with your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your in-laws, your kids. You might disagree with teachers or coaches in the community, other, other people like your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss, your friends. You can disagree with a lot of different people. And there are a lot of different things that we disagree about. We disagree about things like money, how to spend, save, um, invest money. We disagree on these things. We disagree on how to raise kids. We disagree on issues around guns and immigration. People disagree on whether or not the man cold is a real thing. (laughs) People disagree about pets. Whoa, I did not realize how passionate people were about pets. Religion, sexuality, climate change. How to load the dishwasher. Okay, so there's a few of us. There's a lot of opportunities for disagreement around us. But what if we saw disagreement as an opportunity? Sometimes disagreement, it can be this big heated topic, very public, very controversial. But a lot of times it's a lot less dramatic. A few years ago, we had a family over for supper, and this is not anybody from our church, nor from you know, our Waverly campus, so just to clear that right now. So we had this family over. They have young children. We have young children. We had just bought our house, and we put in all brand new carpet. It's nice. It's a few days old. And they, bless their hearts, brought a nice, fresh, juicy blueberry pie to share for dessert, which is very nice of them. Which is very nice of them. And so we ate supper. Everybody's around the table. We ate supper in the kitchen. The kitchen has, you know, that laminate stuff that you can mop right up. And so we all ate supper around the table. Kids scattered. Adults were sitting around talking. And pretty soon it came time for dessert. And so we said, well, we'll call the kids back. And I said, you know, just with the adults in the room, I said, well, you know, I think we do have all brand new carpet in the whole house. And so maybe we ought to just eat this uh, dessert here at the table. And our guest said, no. I think they should be able to eat it wherever they want. (laughs) 
I own the house. Now, I'm not sure how that situation is going to feel like to you, but it was a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable for me. Like, I think small children should eat blueberry pie at the table so they don't spill on somebody's brand new carpet, mine or anybody else's. Our guests thought the children should be able to eat wherever they want. And we disagreed. How many of you have ever been in a situation like this? Anybody ever experienced this before? So today we're going to look at three short but connected stories actually in the book of Matthew. I think this looks like, to me, it looks like Matthew put these three stories very intentionally, one right after the other. What it does is it looks like an Oreo cookie because you have two very similar stories on the outside and a nice creamy teaching in the middle that's going to hold them all together. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. These stories, they're not so much about how Jesus disagreed. It's more about how Jesus lived and the opportunities for disagreement, which was all around him. Ultimately, I think what we'll see is that Jesus saw disagreement as an opportunity to show and grow the grace of God with others. We're going to start reading. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 9. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, if you have a device, you can uh, open that up. Matthew chapter 9. Um, it's also going to be on the screen, and you can read there. We're going to read a little bit and then stop, and then we'll keep moving. We're going to start Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 9, and it says this. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus, why does your teacher, they asked, I'm sorry, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We're going to stop there. So this is the first of these three scenes in Matthew. This is the top of the Oreo cookie, if you will. Jesus approached Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was sitting at his booth. He was doing his thing. And you may have heard it before that tax collectors were pretty shady characters. They were kind of bad news, and they were outcasts in that day. So what happens next is actually a pretty big deal. Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, which was essentially asking him to come and be my disciple. And that was literally unheard of. And not only that, but then Jesus went to Matthew's house and shared a meal with him. And not just him, but a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners as well. Do you think Jesus brought a blueberry pie? He's just kidding. We may or may not feel the tension in this situation, right? We may or may not feel it, but for a first century person, this would have been a tense scene. Because at the center, if you just think about it, at the center of this whole meal is a saint and the sinners, Jesus and the tax collectors. And at the time, these two types of people, they didn't even belong in the same room together. And you kind of get the picture that on the edge of this scene, you have the disciples and the Pharisees. You get the feeling that they're sort of looking on and watching what's going to happen there in the middle. And they're kind of talking in the background. And notice that the, the Pharisees, they asked the disciples, Excuse me, they asked the disciples about Jesus eating with the sinners. Notice they didn't ask Jesus, they asked his disciples about him. And then Jesus must have overheard it or something, and he said, you know what, I've come for the sick. And here's the thing, he's not just talking about the tax collectors and the sinners. He's talking about the Pharisees, and in fact, he's talking about all of us in this room today. 
So this whole situation is just filled with tension and opportunities for disagreement. Now, how many of you have ever been in a tense situation like this? This happened to me more, it happens way more often than I would like to admit. Um, Just this Christmas, twice, two Christmases in a row, politics came up. We started talking about politics and I don't know about you, but I start to wonder things when I know there's people in the room who are gonna disagree on things. I start to wonder like, are we gonna really talk about this? Are we gonna go there? You know, what are we, what's gonna happen if we go there? Like if I share, is, are people gonna like me? Are they gonna stop liking me? Am I gonna like them? Do I care if they like me? What, how tense is this gonna be? Is it gonna get really bad? Is it gonna get not bad? Are we gonna kinda <laughs> laugh this off? What's it gonna be like? Am I gonna have to defend myself? It can be uncomfortable. But here's what we see in Jesus. Jesus was willing to walk into these uncomfortable situations. He saw it as an opportunity to show grace to others and even help them grow in grace themselves. A few years ago, there was this town uh, out in New Hampshire. And in this town, there was this dance troupe theater, this dance theater troupe, and they, they were looking for the next project. And they wanted to somehow do something with the community. They want to connect with the community. And so across the river, it was kind of an oceanside town, and, but there was a river coming through, and across the river, there was this old, ugly military shipyard. You know, you got this beautiful dance troupe in this old, ugly sort of shipyard. They had big, dark, gray boat pieces laying around. And, and somebody said, well, what, why don't we just connect with those guys? One of the key leaders in the dance troupe, she said, yeah, I'm not really sure about that idea. She really didn't agree with the philosophy of military, and she had a lot of reservations about how this project would even go, but she decided to take a chance. So what they do is they, they brought the leaders and the participants from both sides of the river. They brought them together, and over the next two years, two years, they met regularly. They shared stories. They cast visions. They gathered ideas. They just got to know one another. And the final project was amazing. They had this week of performances. They ended up doing a bunch of different things, different representation of the community, of, 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 the, of the role that the shipyard has had in the community. It's very symbolic. On the final night, they put the final, uh, the final event was right on the bridge that connected the two sides of the river. Again, it was very symbolic. People's lives were deeply impacted because of the whole experience. Two groups of people that don't belong in the same room. Early on, it was just about really getting the people in the same room. They didn't feel like they belonged there. But, but one of the leaders, she stood up and she said, you know what? She declared this. She said, this will be a place where different points of view can be heard. Even if people hear a point of view that they do not like, we have to stay in the room together. Stay in the room together. Because if people here can talk about it and listen to it, then at least that's a start. Now, I like the idea of staying in the room together. It it moves past that fight or flight response that we sometimes have. And we learn instead how to care for one another, like really listen to one another, share stories together, value stories. You know, we look back at Jesus eating with sinners. He was willing to enter into And he was willing to stay in a room, even when the situation was uncomfortable. I think as followers of Jesus, we're going to be called from time to time to do the same thing, to stay in the room, even when it's uncomfortable, so that we can show the grace of Jesus and maybe even grow the grace of Jesus in ourselves 
or in others. But in order to do this, we've got to have the right perspective. We've got to see it as an opportunity. So the question is, how do we keep perspective? How do we keep a perspective that says disagreement could be an opportunity? Well, let's keep reading and uh, we'll see what happens next. We're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to be in verse 14. It says this. Then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Stop there. So, once again, somebody is asking about Jesus and his ministry. In the first story, it was the leaders who asked the disciples about the other leader. Now it's the disciples asking the leader about the other disciples. Notice that it's never a peer-to-peer ask. It's just something to pay attention to. Relationship dynamics are important to pay attention to, especially in times of disagreement. Just something to note. We'll come back to it. So they asked Jesus, and Jesus came back with these three different metaphors, the bridegroom, the patch, and the wineskins. Now these are metaphors that they would have understood at the time, but basically what he's doing is he's, he's speaking to them in a language, and with these metaphors that they were going to understand, what he's doing is he's trying to change their perspective and tell them that something new is here. Something new has come. And you think about perspective. Perspective is an interesting thing, isn't it? Sometimes you ever wonder, how can two people look at the same thing and understand it completely differently? Like loading a dishwasher? How do we look at this and have the same dishes in the same washer and completely different ideas on how to load this thing? How do we get our perspective in the first place? There's an interesting question. There was a pastor years ago. His name was John Wesley. Maybe you've heard this name before. But he said, we primarily know things through four different ways. And these four different ways, they work together to shape our perspective on life, really. So we have a picture of this. The first way that we know things is because we experience them. Now, let me use just a very safe example this morning, hopefully safe. Like, I can know it's cold outside because I can go outside, I can feel the cold, I can experience it. Like, we know it. We experience things for ourselves. That's how we know it's true. We experience it, we feel it, taste it, touch it, we live through it, whatever it might be. We know something is true because we've experienced it. The second way that we know things is we can hear it from trusted people. You all have trusted people in your lives. Now maybe I heard from friends that it's cold outside, so I just trust that it's cold outside. But if my, if my eight-year-old daughter goes outside and comes back in and she says it's cold, I might be like, mm, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we have trusted people. We don't have to feel it for ourselves, but trusted people, trusted sources, we don't have to feel it for ourselves and we trust, okay, it's cold outside because they said it was. The third way is through reason, like, you know, reason. We, we know things to be true through reason. Like I might wake up in the morning and I look outside and I see snow and I see frost in the trees. And I know, because of science, 
the, the snow begins to melt at 32 degrees. So I can look outside and say, well, it's, at least it's below 32 degrees right now because nothing's melting. So it's probably going to feel pretty cold. Also, it's January, and it's, most of the time it's cold in January. So I can sort of put these pieces together and reason, ah, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be cold outside. The fourth way, because he's a Christian, this John Wesley says, we also know things because God reveals them to us. We have the, we have the Bible, because the Bible tells me so, just like the old songs. For example, Job 38, chapter 38, it talks about how God has storehouses full of snow, and so we can know that you know, somehow God is involved in this whole snow thing. He's making the snow, and the frost in the trees, and on and on and on. Christians believe that God reveals himself to us in the Bible. He reveals himself to us in nature. He reveals himself to us in the person, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we take these four different streams that we have here. You've got these square. We, we take these four different things. They all flow together. They swirl around. Experience, trusted people, reason, God's revelation. We swirl them together, and it's a mix of facts and experiences, but it's also emotions and feelings. For example, when we talk about immigration, I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to be thinking about my different experiences when I went to Texas and Mexico and the different orphanages that I got a chance to spend time in. When I went to the border wall, when I went to the communities on both sides of the wall and just experienced what life was there, those things are going to come up. Whenever I'm going to be talking about immigration, I'm going to be thinking about those experiences that I lived through. I'm going to be thinking about my friend Benson, my friend from seminary. He moved here years ago to be a student, and eventually he met an American woman, fell in love with her, and they're married, and they've been married, and he's still waiting and waiting and waiting years to get his papers to be a U.S. citizen. So whenever that conversation comes up, right, wrong, and different, whatever you believe, those are the things that are going to come to mind for me. When we talk about military, Cedar Falls is talking about fire safety. When we talk about police, I can't be a part of those conversations without thinking about my brothers. My brother who served his country in war in Afghanistan and Iraq, and now he's an officer of the law in Benton County. My other brother who's been a full-time police, or a full-time fireman for a number of years now. If we talk about those things, that's, that's part of who I am because they're my brothers. I've seen before we, where we have these disagreements, and sometimes we label disagreement. We label it as fear. We label it as judgment. Like, you're just judging me. Oh, you're just afraid. Sometimes we just get in term, and we get stuck thinking, oh, it's right or wrong. And a lot of times, it's not so simple. Instead, it's a matter of perspective. Because we're all doing these four things here. We're taking that and trying to interpret what we have and, and make sense of the world around us. And let's be honest, we're, we're just trying to do our best. When, when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, he, he experienced this. Because you had two different groups of people who had two different backgrounds. They were trusting different people. They had different, totally different experiences when it came to like food and what was right and wrong to eat. And, and all of a sudden, they found themselves in one church in Rome, and, and that they had this disagreement about what they should and shouldn't eat. And here's one thing that Paul wrote to them. He said this. He said, well, you know, look, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I was in a meeting a few years ago, and all of a sudden, it was kind of weird how it came about, all of a sudden I realized that I'm the only person in this meeting who doesn't think the exact same way that everybody else does. 
And, and I, I said, I actually said in the meeting, I said, you know, look, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just telling you I'm not where you're at right now. And the, the meeting went well. The meeting went really well, very gracious people that I was meeting with. A couple days later, one of the guys who was in the meeting called me and he said, hey, can I come and talk with you? And I said, sure. So we sat down and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this and I think this is, this is a really important thing. And so we talked about why we disagreed. We sort of talked about those different things that were going on, our experiences, the people we were trusting, how we were interpreting the word of God. It was good. And then he said this to you, to me. He said this. He said, I want you to know I disagree with you still, but I also want you to know that I love you, I value you, and I'm with you. And that brief time with him was so edifying to me and to him and to our relationship. Do you know what edifying means? Edifying means to build one another up. It literally means to build a structure. The idea is to build a structure that can support life. It's like building a home where people are gonna be able to live. Many times in disagreement, we try to tear each other down. But what if instead we were the type of Jesus followers, like Paul was encouraging, that as Jesus followers, we built people up even if we disagreed, even if we disagree. Sometimes we can build people up just by listening, but specifically listening to their experiences. Ask about their experiences. Ask about the trusted people in their life. Ask about how are you putting these pieces together? Help me see what you see. Ask about how you're reading the Bible, maybe. What are you seeing in Scripture? And do the same for yourself. Try to understand, why do I believe the things I do? And it's not that we can't have convictions and bring them into the room with us. Certainly, we're all going to have our convictions. But when we come into the room and our convictions are different from others in the room, it's good to stay in the room. It's good to not hit the fight or flight buttons. But as one theologian said, he says, we need to practice forbearance. This is what he says about that. He says the whole idea of staying in the room, he calls it forbearance. He says, forbearance is less than a momentary ceasefire. It's not just that we put our, you know, stuff away. He says it's actually an active concern for one another. Active concern. He says it's living with a productive discomfort of difference as a reflection of God. You see, my friend, he didn't label me or accuse me. He didn't judge me. He didn't boil things down to right or wrong. We held our different perspectives. And it even took some time to talk through some of those different perspectives. But then he came to me in the best way that I have ever seen in such an edifying way to build me up, to build both of us up with active concern. I love you. I still care for you. Productive discomfort. I'm with you even if we still disagree. So here we are in the room together today. I would imagine that there are a number of things that we agree on, 
a number of things even in this room that we disagree on. How's about those roundabouts, Cedar Falls? <laughs> We're building our own roads in Waverly. If you haven't watched the news about that. Anyway, I pray that we can be the type of people who can disagree and do it well. Um, stay in the room. Edify one another, active concern, productive discomfort. Take the time to understand why we have different perspectives. So where we've been so far is we have the top of the cookie, uh, we have the creamy teaching in the middle, and now what we're gonna do is jump on down to the, the, the bottom of the cookie, and we're gonna find out what it is that we're biting into here. We're gonna read Matthew chapter nine, and uh, the, we're gonna pick up in verse 18, which is where we left off, and, and this is where it picks up. Matthew writes this, he says, while he was saying this, while Jesus was saying all these things, he was uh, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I could touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned to her, take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. The woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw a noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, he took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread throughout that region. You say, so what's going on here? So if you look back in the Old Testament and you see these moments in Israel's history when obedience to the law led to blessing for the people of God. And so it appears that maybe the Pharisees and maybe other, uh, other priests as well, they developed this, uh, this perspective. They saw this pattern. They said, look, if we obey the law, then we get a blessing. And so they wanted to obey the law so they could experience God's blessing. And in many cases, it looks like they went above and beyond the law. Maybe they added these extra rules so they could get an extra blessing. This was their perspective. And part of the law, I was just reading this yesterday in Leviticus, part of the law is about personal holiness. And so they refused to touch other people's dirtiness. Because if I touch dirty people, it makes me dirty, which would, which would distance me from God's blessing. So therefore, I don't want to touch dirty people. They thought dirtiness was contagious. Now, who are the dirty people? They're the sick. They're the dying. And they're the sinners. And maybe this is what Matthew is trying to help us hear with these three stories stacked the way they are, this Oreo cookie, if you will. On the top, we have Jesus eating with sinners who are dirty people. And on the bottom, we have Jesus touching, physically touching. That's huge. The sick and the dead. And right in the middle, we've got this creamy teaching where Jesus says something new is happening. Something new is going on. Jesus was getting dirty, but that was okay. And maybe it was even more than okay. There's a theologian, his name is Craig Blomberg. He was actually my New Testament professor as well. He wrote a book, it's called Contagious Holiness. And this is what he said, he surveyed all, all of Jesus' life. He said Jesus wasn't concerned about getting other people's dirt rubbing off on him. He was more concerned with his holiness rubbing off on other people. Contagious holiness. My holiness is gonna be contagious for other people. 
Jesus said, I am a doctor. I've come for the sick. And he's not just talking about the physically sick. He's talking about the tax collectors, the Pharisees. He's talking about all of us in this room. And he's not worried about our junk rubbing off on him. He's more concerned with his holiness rubbing off on us. He wants us to bring our dirt, the dirtiest that we have, and to get close to him. And he wants to see his holiness just wash us clean. And not only that, but then as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to walk in Jesus' holiness and to share it with others. So that even in times of disagreement, when it can feel kind of yucky, we can stay in the room and show and grow the grace of God in ourselves and in others. I want to close. Um, There's a lot of things here. It's a topic I'm very passionate about. Thanks for having me with you today. I want to close today, though, with... um, Maybe just a few tidbits, just to revisit some of the things that we've gone over. I think we have one final slide. Because we want to start out just recognizing that disagreement, it can be awkward and scary. Disagreement can be an opportunity to show and grow the grace of God, but let's be honest, it can be awkward and sometimes sort of scary. And just to recognize that. But remember that staying in the room can actually lead to life change, dramatic life change in your life and in other people's lives. One thing we have to do is to pay attention to these relational dynamics. I talked to one person last week. They said, you know, sometimes the issue is not the issue. The issue is the power dynamics that are going. Just something to be aware. When you're disagreeing with somebody, you can ask yourself, okay, where's the, where's the authority and power play here? Is that what's happening Also, the question asking, why do we disagree? This can be just an edifying adventure. Like, if you take the time to explore this, it is so much fun. If you ask about the experiences that people had, if you get to know the trusted people who are in my life and in other people's lives, who am I listening to? How am I putting the pieces together? Do you understand, like, how are we understanding God and how God reveals himself to us? Like, if you take the time to talk with somebody about this, oh, it's a gold mine. It's so much fun to learn these things with other people. But also to remember, look, after we do that and we put the pieces together, we're all doing our best. And so we have to have grace. Grace is like grease for the gears. It just keeps the relationship wheel moving and moving and moving. Active concern, productive discomfort. They can be fertilizer. Loving one another, even in hard times, this can produce fruit, all kinds of fruit. And to finally remember this, that Jesus is contagious. And we can share and we can receive. There's gonna be a lot of opportunity for disagreement. But let's be the type of people who see disagreement as an opportunity. I'm gonna pray and then we'll continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us and your son. We see you in the nature and the world around us. We see you in in scriptures that your people have passed on through the centuries. God, we thank you that you would want us to know you. And this morning as we, we learn about you and learn about Jesus who sees something new coming, And this whole idea of contagious holiness, Lord, that you would be willing to step into our world and rub off on us. God, that we would become your holy people. I thank you. 
Help us to see, God, these moments of opportunities, these moments of disagreement as opportunities, just like Jesus did, that we can be a people who are loving, caring, sharing with others. Father, and as we prepare for communion this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you in a special way, that we would just receive from your spirit in this practice that has been handed down from your son through the generations. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.